McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to PO4 Cast episode 128. Well it's six games unbeaten, is it the turn of the tide? Joining the podcast today is Sam Stone, how are you Sam? Hi you? yeah I'm very good, I've um, had a busy week, I've been up in London doing some work experience at TalkSport, um, I've got to get up at four in the morning tomorrow because I'm going on the Alan Brazil breakfast show helping produce that, so yeah it's been a really fun week but yeah had to make sure I got on this podcast. <laughs> All right, big time over there. Talk sport. <laughs> it doesn't, it, this podcast, is, it, it beats it. Oh, it's the flattery. That's why I keep getting you back, Sam. I always appreciate yeah. it, mate. Um, joining us for the first time is Frankie Rutland. How are you, mate? I'm not bad, mate. 128 episodes I've somehow managed to miss. So it's good to finally be on here. Yeah, no, it's, I don't even know how we've got to 128 to it. It seems to be flying past at the same time. So I think after, was it episode 100? I can't remember. Listeners are going to correct me and, and at me for this, but I think we had Norris back on again and a few other people. So time is definitely flying. Um, how you been, mate? All right? Yeah, not bad, mate. Same busy week, but nothing, nothing as exciting as talk sport. The, the big time over here. We're out in Brazil. I'm, I'm not rubbing shoulders with anyone that important, unfortunately. But yeah, busy week, but good, mate. I remember the first time we met, I think, Frankie, was trying out for the AD commentary gig at Fratton Park, where you were way better than me by about 10 miles. I'd done an absolutely bugger all preparation, Nate. <laughs> you absolutely smashed it, obviously got the role. And uh, me and Jake uh, Pompey-Smith at the time just, you know, hung our heads in shame at the, how bad we were in comparison to yourself. I've gone downhill from there, mate. Don't worry, it won't be anything like that on the pod. <laughs> well, no, I'm joking. I'm, I'm actually back in the, the press box on Saturday for um, the QA hospital guys. It'll be my first one in, in ages. So yeah, I, I can't wait. But I think we're unfortunate that day. It was it was FC Utrecht, wasn't it? So it was a, it was one that is like, you're never going to know the players off the top of your head. <laughs> no, I didn't even bother trying to learn them, to be honest. In, in retrospect, learning the names wasn't that important, but maybe trying to actually practice getting the flow would have been something decent to do rather than just <laughs> turning up after a couple of beers, rolling in there and thinking I could possibly do it. But live and learn mate uh that's where the podcast started so let's get into it so first of all we're going to review the game against wickham following from that we put out the question of six games unbeaten is this the turn of the tides and do you guys think we should change it up against wimbledon and then finally we're going to preview the game on saturday against wimbledon right let's get going Wickham, they're always a tough team to play against. The time-wasting maestro is probably the team that time-wastes the most in the EFL, I'd say, but quite effectively. But Sam, coming into this game, did you think we would play such a up-tempo, I suppose, energetic performance? Uh, to be honest, mate, Wickham away, it's always a, 
it's always a fixture I'm not particularly looking forward to. I've been there way too many times and we just know what we're going to get from them. It's going to be, it's just going to be a horrible game of football to watch. And it was a horrible game of football to watch. But the thing I've worried about with Pompey this season is they haven't stood, they haven't been able to stand up to the, the physical test. They've kind of buckled at times. Rotherham's a really good example of that because that was a mad five minutes where they just completely had way too much physicality, way too much power for us. And Wickham would be a team you kind of label as being very similar to what, like, as Rotherham. So um, for us to kind of show a bit of fight, show a bit of desire, show some physicality, Raggett and Ogilvy at the back were superb, you know, putting their bodies on the line and just to show a bit of steel that we were not going to let that 1-0 lead slip. And that that was a big positive for me. Obviously, I think Danny Cowley mentioned his interview after. He, he wasn't overly pleased with the performance, like the footballing side of things. You know, he didn't necessarily, they didn't play the way he wanted them to play, but the mental and, and the physical side of stuff was probably the best performance of the season to date. And Frankie, one of the big changes, I suppose, is George Hurst playing up top. A lot of Pompey fans have been a bit frustrated, I suppose, with the way John Marquis's goal output's been. I suppose that's fair to say. I think some people have slammed us a bit online. I think a couple of weeks ago, we released an episode where I compared him to Colin Mazumba, where his name is, the Hurricane. Said he's one of the worst footballers I've ever seen. So if if I'm going to slam players and they're going to turn their form around, it's always good to be wrong. But what did you think of George Hurst's performance in this game, Frankie? Yeah, he showed everything that, to be fair, I thought a lot, I think a lot of Pompey fans didn't even think he had within him. So for me personally, I'd never seen the side of his game where he'd stretched the team before. And I think especially when he when he kind of made the run, Curtis picked him out, went down the channel and slipped it across to, to Harness for the goal. You could see he actually really stretched Wickham and he gave us another dimension. And he was a little bit more resilient as well in his play in the sense of he, he was battling with hardened Wickham centre-backs. Tafazoli especially is a huge bloke, an absolute unit at the back. And he fought with them all game. And he, he did everything you want a striker to do apart from find the back of the net, but he even came close. So he was a bit of a revelation and he's proved a lot of people wrong with that performance. And if he can carry on doing that, he, he looked to have, like I said, apart from putting the ball in the back of the net, every element you'd want from a striker. He got behind teams, he stretched them, he held the ball up. He was he was from phenomenal. So fair play to him because he's taken a, a lot of flack and it shows a, a massive test to his character that he goes in against a team like Wickham away, does that and, and off the back of being slated. Because he would have, I know he said he doesn't check social media, but he'd have heard the grumbles from, from fans around the ground. And rightly so, because his performances before weren't up to much. But, you know, he turned it around massively on Saturday, hugely. Yes, he gets that early chance, I suppose, for Harness. Down the, he, he runs the channel, George Hurst does, down the right-hand side. And I think what's quite interesting is he manages to sort of draw the defenders, as Frankie was saying, and still hold on to the ball. I think Pompey been lucky in a little bit of that up front. You know, if you're going to be the sort of penalty box striker on the shoulder and do that, fair enough. But Marcus hasn't really been doing that. But Hurst, he gets down the right... He pulls it back inside and Curtis has quite a nice little chance there, which he sort of fluffs. And then the ball bounces to Harness again. And he, well, he skies it, doesn't he? Probably should hit it on his left foot, but takes it on his right. But Sam, in the start of this game, did you feel Pompey were going to go on and, and get something from it? Or did you think it's just one of those games that's going to peter out in a sort of Wickham way? Well, the first 15 minutes, I didn't think we were going to last all half time, to be honest, because they were, it was just pretty kind of non-stop pressure from Wickham, created a couple of chances. Um, also as well it's got to be mentioned the referee oh my words the, uh, I managed to watch the game on a, on a VPN on iFollow and that first penalty uh, both of them were penalties but how Pompey didn't get awarded the penalty uh, for that uh, 
challenge on Louis Thompson. I have no idea. And then obviously it's going to happen. Wickham go up the other end to get a penalty themselves. But the referee, some very questionable decisions for both sides um, as well. But yeah, I honestly thought the way the game has started, it was going to be one-way traffic. And, and we were perhaps fortunate to hold on in that first 15 minutes. But then we did grow into the game. And I think there's a good argument to say that we probably had the best chances, well, the best chance of the first half, definitely with Harness's shot. I also think Curtis has got to do better with his strike because he's a a relatively easy chance from the centre of the box, not far out and no pressure on him and he's managed to kind of scuff it. But yeah, again, good work from George Hurst and it's that kind of, it's kind of reminded me a little bit of a performance we saw against us a few weeks ago, Michael Smith at Rotherham. His performance on Saturday was very similar to that, you know, running the channels, holding the ball up well. I actually think Hurst has got a quite a nice turn of pace on him as well, which uh, Frankie just mentioned, they're kind of running in behind, which, John Marquis just doesn't have. He has he, everything. Everything that George Hurst showed on Saturday was levels above what we've been seeing from John Marquis recently. So I know he's injured, but after that performance from Hurst, you can't really make an argument for Marquis coming back in based on his performances. I completely agree with that. And I mean, the thing that typifies it the most is is that I know I go back to the goal again, but. How many times have you seen a ball played in behind for John Marquis and he takes about four or five kind of baby steps to settle himself before kind of ending up scuffing the ball, getting it stuck under his feet or just checking back? I just don't think he'd have had the presence of mind to have kind of latched onto that as Hurst did and then keep his composure, get it in his stride and keep his composure to slot that across the harness. I, I honestly don't think he would have because I think it would have been head down looking at the ball, trying to get his, not to get his feet in a tangle before he'd even spotted harness in the box. And it's that split second where the chance just goes because Wickham defenders were tracking back to be fair to him. So it's just that split second of getting the ball instantly under control, which Marquis just hasn't been showing. His, his touch has just been failing him pretty much every golden opportunity, every every golden moment. I wasn't going to get into it now, but it seems like a good transition here, boys. And do you think that, I mean, there's a lot of talk about this online of, is Marquis injured? Is he not? Is, is that a convenient thing, Sam? Is it convenient to say he's injured? Or do you think he's just got a knock and Danny Callie wants to be cryptic as always about his substitutions and who's available? I think regardless of whether he's injured, after his performance against um, Harrow Borough, who in the, was it seventh tier? I think is it seventh tier against the performance against Harrow Borough against the, like seventh tier defenders. He had no right to start on Saturday. He had no right. He's been at Pompey for two and a half years. He's had one spell where he's at the start of last season. Was it the start of last season where he scored a few goals? Barring that little spell, we have seen a player that's got no confidence, has shown pretty much like no technical ability that kind of what you just want to want to see from a striker good good shooting ability a good first touch the ability to pass the ball link up play we haven't seen any of that people keep referring back to these Doncaster prolific Doncaster days I hate to tell you there's not that the player ain't there anymore and that was shown in the FA Cup game against Harrow because he's playing against defenders who are part-time in the seventh tier of English football George Hurst has played against Crystal Palace's under 23s Palace have one of the best academies in the country and he put in a very good performance. And he's come against Wickham, against uh, uh, Tafazoli and the other centre-half's name, escapes my mind, I should know it. Stuart, uh, Stuart, and Stuart yeah, yeah. But Stuart, Stuart's been around for a long, long time at this level, played in the Championship last year. And Hurst put in a very good performance against them. Marquis wouldn't have put that performance in. He would have got bullied by them. And I, I just, 
I don't think he has any right to come back into this team. And I think even if he was fit, I do think that Danny Cowley should have changed the, the he should have had a change up top anyway. It's a bizarre thing to say as well, to come in and, and say from Cowley's perspective that Marquise has been carrying a knock since Wigan. Because, you know, you've got her sat waiting on the bench who he's, he's opting to bring on. And you just think, is that not a little bit insulting to, to Hurst? If you're saying, look, we've been playing Marquise who hasn't been scoring, he hasn't looked sharp, his first touch hasn't been there. Bar the Sunderland game, he hasn't really been bringing other people into the game either. So is it not insulting to come out and say, look, we've had a striker that's not been scoring goals and he's been injured since Wigan, but we've still been picking him as, instead of Hurst, who's come in and put a solid shift in the last two games he's played. If I was Hurst, I'd be thinking, well, you know, it's got to be a cover-up, surely. It's, it's got to be a, an excuse to a certain level because otherwise it's just a kick in the teeth for, for your other strikers or your other attacking players in the squad. Do you not think it's maybe though a sort of a confidence thing a little bit with Hurst that you know when I was watching his performances before coming on in off the bench and you always talk about earning that time etc as a player and managers want to see something to, to earn a start and I don't really think George Hurst had done anything on the pitch to necessarily earn a start now you can you can look at it the other way around that Marcus is performing so badly you've got to turn it around and put someone else on up front and, and is that what you think there Frankie? Yeah, I do, because to be fair to Hurst, and again, I've, I've said before, his performances weren't there when he came on. And a lot of the things that we saw against Wickham, it, like I said, it didn't look like he had. He, he'd been bullied off the ball on certain occasions. It didn't look like he had that switch of pace at all. But, you know, a lot of the time, Hurst has come on after 70, 75 minutes after we've just been completely abject for the whole whole first half and, and major parts of the second half as well. Often he stepped into a horrible environment where the fans are rightly completely fed up and the team just looked completely fragmented. I mean, he's a young player as well. You don't. I'm not going to make too many excuses for him, but he's not coming on. It's not the best of situations for him to come on and try and affect a football match. You know, he's not coming on for a team that's that's been desperately scraping and fighting to to get back in the game. Most of the time, we've we've drifted towards defeat. So I do feel for him, and I, I don't think he's probably come into the easiest environment to try and turn a game around when he when he has got on the pitch. Just moving on slightly from this topic, I, I think it's quite interesting the way that Danny Cowley tactically set up the team for this game against Wickham because he sort of played a very sort of central sort of uh, formation where he played the three in the middle. And I've not really liked it when we've played Williams and Morell and etc. all together in the centre in a three-man midfield. It hasn't really worked. But you look at the game to, uh, the game with Louis Thompson, Sean Williams sort of sitting a little bit in behind with Aziz in front of him. They sort of looked a little bit better. I know Aziz sort of, you know, People, the jury's still out a little bit of, with some people on him, but I think his passing looks pretty good actually as a player. I think he can grow into it and be quite a good playmaking playmaking midfielder for us. But do you think that the, the central play and then Hurst having two players up front is just a formation we can stick with going forward? On that Aziz point as well, did you see the video of him after the game? It looked with the fans, he was proper like getting into it. So I do, I, he was um, showing a bit of passion and stuff, which was good to see. Um, but yeah, regarding, you mentioned the midfield there, I thought that was Sean Williams' probably best game in a Pompey shirt. Um, I just think I was worried about him playing in that midfield against Wickham, just being out for, out muscled, like not just having that kind of bite. But he's a clever player and he kind of gives himself time because he knows where he is on the pitch. He gives himself that kind of time on the ball. And I thought that was probably his best performance in a, in a Pompey shirt. Um Obviously, we kind of we didn't have any other options in midfield, so we had to go for that. But it did work, and I wouldn't want to change that midfield at the moment. Um, obviously, Morel will come back in, but personally, I would rather that be for Aziz than uh, 
than Williams or, or Thompson at the moment. I just think that their, their, their performance on Saturday in that midfield against a physical side and then potentially letting Morel kind of go in that position just in front. Because I don't think you can not play Morel if Morel's fit, um, especially after his performances uh, for Wales over his national break as well. And he has been very good for us. So I don't know what you guys think on that. Well, we'll come back to that point in a little bit when we get into the next section. So let's just let's just let me rope this back. This is me, boys. It's all over the park. So let me just rope this back a little bit. Let me rope this back a little bit on track. So I thought, you know, I've been really hoping that Shawnee's Raggett's going to get a goal as well from that corner. Ball in the box. Was it Aziz who took the corner? I think it might have been. He puts the ball into the centre. Can't remember if it's Aziz or Thompson, but puts the ball in the middle. Sean Raggett. You think he's going to score that clear header and it goes wide. But these are the sort of chances that we've not really seen us being getting, have we? From from corners, from set plays. And you've got to think one of those eventually is going to go in, Frankie. Yeah, definitely. And a player like Sean Raggett, how good he is defensively in the air, probably, well, for me, probably up there with the best in the league. And if you're talking about aerial duels in his own penalty area. So, you know, you would think that more would would drop for him in the opposition box just purely because of his frame. But I think it will come. I think when you get the delivery right, that like, he's just an absolute warrior, isn't he? I think he put his head in the end of anything in either box. So when the delivery is right for him, I know obviously he had the head. It was, like you say, it was pretty clear cut. You know, and it, <laughs> it should, he should have scored. That's the bottom line of it. He should have scored. But... You know, I think, like I say, he'll put, he'll put his head in anything. If, if the delivery's there and we can see Aziz has, has quality, if the delivery is is of that standard, then eventually I'm, I'm fully confident he will score goals. We've been talking a little bit about as well, this sort of four at the back formation and, you know, Danny Cowley sort of like went to the four from the three and then it looked for, we had the two up top, which actually looked really good in the three at the back from an attacking perspective. And we we're sort of trying to find a mishmash of how we can still be a threat going forward while still having that stability at the back. It's quite clear to me that when we play two players up front together, we the strikers look a lot more dynamic. And I think Curtis and Hurst looked really good together with their their sort of link-up play and their movement going forward. And that was quite evident in a couple of chances that we had later on in the game. Do you guys think going forward we're going to start up top with Curtis playing alongside Hursty? I don't, I don't think there's any reason to change what went, what happened on Saturday. I, I don't think... You'd, you'd want to change it. I think they they kind of work well off each other. They're very, quite similar players in the sense, obviously, Kirst has got the dribbling ability that, a very good dribbling ability for this level, whereas Hurst, we haven't quite seen that for him yet because he is a striker. He's not necessarily a winger. But both of them are a presence up there. They both win headers. Again, well, Wickham's probably the one team you'd say that's the toughest game they're going to have airily. But they, but they both win headers, both quite quick in behind as well. So, kind of, get, it's a very different front line to when you've got John Mark was kind of trudging around up there, just falling over all the time. So it would be, um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to see it changed um, for for this weekend because I know it's that old saying, but you don't want to change a, a side that's kind of just, just performed quite well um, in a very tough fixture. Uh, but then again, at home against Wimbledon, potentially maybe get the ball on the floor a bit more, try and sit, that Wimbledon are going to come. They're going to probably sit back low block. It might be a slightly different game. Um, where pumping the ball up to two big men when the team is sat so deep might not not necessarily work as well. Yeah, and I think that is something that Cowley kind of alluded to. He did say that the way we sat out against Wickham was was very specific for the fixture because he wanted those bodies up there to try and stop the ball from source. But, you know, like Sam says, against Wimbledon on Saturday, 
we're not going to have that space where where Curtis and, and Hurst can pull into those wide areas and then pull into the channels. I'd imagine we'll see, like like you said, quite a low block. And that obviously makes it a lot more difficult to predict whether whether that combination will work as well because a lot of success we had is, is like he says, pulling off and running those channels. If we don't have that space in behind, then it would be interesting to see how they could play, you know, when they've got the defence blocked in front of them. But like you said, I don't see any reason to change it. Like still, Curtis, for me, can play that role extremely well. He's good with the ball to feet. Hurst, again, he he looks steady with the ball at his feet. I, I still think those players could be effective against a low block. And I don't see any reason why we shouldn't give them a chance playing together as, as they had been in that system. And just before we get on to everyone else's opinions on this and the listeners who have messaged in, and thanks again, everyone, for messaging in. It really makes the show. But... Freddie's not here, Sam. So you might have been thinking, Frankie, that we're not going to do this feature, but let's go for it because it's time for... Guess the That's right, people. Freddie's not here, but with my limited stats knowledge in comparison to the stats guru himself, the bearded warrior, Freddie Webb, I've stepped up and decided we'll carry on the feature since people have messaged in and liked it. So... I want to know, guys, for this one, and we'll start it going. According to Ben Mayhew's experimental 361, etc., is where I got the stats from because it can differ between different models. I want to know who Pompey's highest player was, XG, over the game and what that was. So oh. I want to know the player and the number. Um, I'm going to go for Sean Raggett. Uh, I don't know, like naught point seven, just because of the. I'm just thinking of the head and chances he had. Do you know what? I, this is this. I've I've really fucked this up, haven't I? Because if you get the player wrong, it's going to be completely wrong. Got Frankie, you you have a go, mate. What do you reckon? <laughs> oh, I got it wrong, man. <laughs> sure, he's got to be harness. Isn't it? He's had the chance in the first half. He's got the goal. Um, yeah, one point six. You've done the classic bunts, which is overestimating the XG there, Frankie. But you're correct. <laughs> it's Marcus Harness. I'm sort of a bit confused who to give this to because you're correct. It's Harness. But Sam, Harness's XG throughout the game was 0.7. So you sort of oh, had the... You actually had more the, than doubled him. <laughs> you, had the, you had the number, but not it's the a group player, effort. But, group effort. Do you know what? Since that happens, there can only be one winner of Guess the XG, as Freddie Webb has said once before on the show. So <laughs> since you got the player right, I'm going to give it to Frankie. So Frankie, that's that's one point on I, the leaderboard I, I of the Guess the XG. You know, it's, it's, it, the, the feeling of winning is good, but it kind of feels like it's from default. So I can't take too much pride in this one. Look, you've got to do a Pompey and just take that. Take the win. <laughs> take back the three points and don't look back, to be honest, Frank, here. That's what I'm going to say about that. Sam, you had the number, mate. Next time you get the player right, because he's the player who scored the goal. So Yeah, know. I should have thought of that. I don't know why I didn't. <laughs> anyway, boys, well done. Congratulations. Right. Hopefully, Freddie's proud of me for doing his feature, even though he's not here by popular demand. And Joff, I've carried it on. So, yeah, there we go. Um, let's get into the question from you guys, because, you know, we've got our opinions, but you guys actually make the show. So thank you again, everyone for messaging in it's always appreciated and we said to you guys Pompey put in a much improved performance on Saturday as they defeated Wickham is this the turning point for the season and should Danny Cowley make any changes to the winning side Liam messages in he says Hurst deserves to keep his spot the big question I think is a lot of people are wondering is Baz or Bass 
Personally, I think Bass deserves to start after his last performance, but Baz has been unreal for us and on the international stage. Definitely lucky to have him. Frankie, what are you feeling? Bass or Baz? Where are we going with this? You know, it's, you would never think you'd be talking about this problem with Pompey, whereas you've got a keeper who saved a penalty from Cristiano Ronaldo, kept a clean sheet against Cristiano Ronaldo, and then is trending across Twitter for an outrageous save after the ball was deflected. I think it was deflected off Coleman, maybe, against Luxembourg. And it's just incredible how he gets across. He's just got an extendable arm at the end to tip that around the post. So you would never think you'd be having that debate of, of whether a keeper starts ahead of Bazunu. And obviously, it's not his fault that he missed, he missed the fixture in if Aziz was called up, if England, if he was called up with England, it would have been moved. So it's not his fault that he missed the, missed the fixture. But I think for for the squad and and for Bass personally, it has to be Bass. He put in such good performance. He saved the penalty. You know, in, in many times he's kept us in the game. And I think if you don't start him, what message does that send out to players that are on the fringe that when they do get that opportunity, they come in, they play an absolute blinder, like say, save a penalty, keep us in the game. If you then don't select them for the next game, what else could he possibly do to get a run in that team? And it's it's harsh. It's harsh on Baz because obviously he's been phenomenal for Pompey. He's, he's, he's made the odd error, but he's been absolutely outrageous. He's done it on the international stage and it wasn't his fault. He wasn't involved in the fixture, but you can't, for me, you can't look look past a player that's just got man in the match and it's just been phenomenal. Sam? Well, I've actually taken inspiration of Freddie and I've actually gone on Scout and made a Bazumu versus Bass player list. So I've got a few stats if you want to, uh, if you want to hear them. <laughs> here uh, we go, people. It's lucky, <laughs> it's lucky Andy's not here. He'd be, he'd be crying into his microphone right now. But Sam, I'm loving this. Going for it. I wouldn't be able to do it. I'm the only thing I'll be able to do it as good as Freddie. But so basically, Alex Bass prevents 0.445 goals per 90, whereas Bazunu prevents 0.14 goals per 90. This is off this season. Obviously, Bass only played two games. Um, that's just one of the main stats that kind of stands out to me. And then goals conceded per 90, Bazunu is 1.05, Bass 0.73. So Bass on the kind of preventing goals, conceding goal stats is is outshining him. Again, very small amount of fixtures compared to Bazunu. But one thing I will highlight and that I've noticed here with these uh, with these stats, XG against is that Alex Bass has slightly more XG against per 90. And I feel like maybe you could suggest that this is because with Bass in goal, he's a very good keep, very good shot stopper. Bazunu, we know how good he is from distribution-wise and how he allows us to get a foothold in the game. He plays very high up, make, allows our centre-half to split, allows the full-backs to push up, allows us to get some possession and keep the ball more, which in turn means that we aren't really facing as many chances. And Pompey this season have actually not... Fa- they've got quite a good XG against compared to the rest of the league. We don't actually concede too many high-quality chances. We're actually ranking quite high up in that. But when I'm just suggesting that potentially when Bazunu plays, we may have a slightly more a slight more foothold in the game, just be able to dominate the game slightly more. Uh so those are the main there's the main stats I've seen. Prevented goals as well, Bass 2.48, Bazunu 0.34. So in the games that Bass has played, he has played very well. He's prevented Shot stopping's been excellent. I'm just maybe that for the team and how the team want to play, Bazunu may be slightly better, especially at home, which is a suggestion. But again, it's a very good problem to have having Pompey got two very good keepers for this level. 
very good keepers. And I'm sure most sides in the top half would have both of them. So it's a good problem to have. With with Bazuna as well, um, I was just reading through some stuff on Twitter before we came on. And what I hadn't realised as well is he's keeping Travers out of the team. And Travers had something ridiculous. Like, I can't remember the stat, but he, I think he was the third least conceded for Bournemouth um, in the Championship, soon to probably be a Premier League keeper the way they're going on this season. And he's keeping them out of that island side. So, you know, he's, he's a serious, serious keeper and he's keeping a, a very, very decent keeper from from the level above out of that island team. So, you know, like Sam says, it's, it's a ridiculous problem for, for us to have as, as a team that's midway in League One. We'll leave that one to Danny Cowley then uh, and move on because I don't <laughs> think you can do too badly with that. But uh, the Pompey tweeter messages in, he says, there's a long way to go for me. I think we're still missing three players. We need a striker, unless Hurst goes on a scoring run before January, if we start to score more. I've got faith in this team, but I just can't see us being clinical in front of goal. Frankie, do you think it's a case of goals will come if we get this sort of, with the way we're playing? Is it is it going to be laboured all the time? Or do you think this team has the capability to, to start scoring a little bit more freely? There is the capability though. There definitely is because you look at players like Curtis, he's, he's got three so far. There's de- there's definitely a higher ceiling for him to achieve a lot more goals than he has. Harness has goals within him. Hurst, the only thing you can say at the minute is with Hurst's performances, yes, it was good, but you know, is he a player that can affect the game in terms of what he does with and off the ball, but isn't perhaps the most naturally gifted finisher? The strike was clean with his left foot against Wick and the chance he had it was a good save from uh, from Stockdale. But, you know, is he the man? We've not seen enough of him yet to know whether he's the man that, that could score 10-plus goals in the second half of the season. And I think it would be incredibly risky for Pompey to, to leave that and rely rely solely on Marquis and Hurst and possibly I had me again and another known unknown quantity largely so I would agree I think we do need another striker in January in January in my opinion but the problem is who do you get in a lot of the time we've seen in previous seasons signing strikers in January you tend to get people on a downwards curve you know we've got Owen Doyle before Omar Bogle both strikers with good goal scoring records before they come to Fratton Park but we've taken them after they've had half a season of barely kicking a ball and they just haven't been able to do it so it's it's a difficult one and it's probably one of the hardest positions to try and sign a player in January that is going to make that difference. Pompey and Canberra messages in. He says, I think he has to stick with the same side. Otherwise, it sends out the wrong message. The way the players dug in and ground out the result against Wickham, for me, means they deserve to keep their place again. Sam, does that mean that you agreed that Joe Morrell shouldn't start on the game against Wimbledon? He's probably the one player that I'd say has to come back in. Um, I don't think you can have a player who's performed at the level he has this season which has been I'm not saying he's been standout player in the league but in comparison to how Pompey have played he has been a level above most of the players Pompey have had this season so and also he's done it on international level as well and by all accounts had a very good game uh, for Wales the other night so he's probably the one player that I would say has to come back in Jury stood out on Aziz, as I mentioned earlier. Um, I think there is a player in there somewhere, still very young, still very raw, still trying to get used to men's football. I think that's what you can see from him. I think there's there is a there is definitely a player in there, and I think you can see it because he put the way he passes the ball a lot quicker. I think his movements a little bit more sharper than maybe some of the players we've got, which might potentially you see this a lot. These Premier League players, like Loney's coming down and they don't quite click because they're maybe just a few steps ahead of the players they're playing with and having got the physicality 
I still think the jury's out on him. So I'd like to see Morel come back in if there was a player who would probably drop out of the side against Wickham uh, from the Wickham game. It probably would be Aziz. Again, playing against Wickham away at Adams Park compared to playing at Arsenal's training ground against another Premier League academy, you probably can't get two more different scenarios. So I still, I, I, I am excited to see what Aziz can bring to this side. I think he'd be better at home in games where we're trying to break a side down. I think that's where he'd be at his best or at an environment where he could thrive the most. Um, but yeah, for me, Morel would be coming back in for him. That'd be the one move I'd make. Frankie, do you agree with Sam? I actually do, yeah. 100%. I think Morel gives us a completely different dimension as a team. And if we do choose to go with a similar formation, I think Morel and Thompson can can really drive us forward from those from those middle areas, which, you know, is a, is a huge boost. Morel ticks the ball quickly. He's, he's nippy, he's quick, he's intelligent. And it's nothing against Aziz. I just think, like Sam said, you're talking about a, a player that's probably above above the level at, at Pompey are at the minute. Like I say, putting a really good performance internationally. I just don't think you can look past him. Um, and did Aziz do enough to keep him out of the team? Maybe not. He, he again, good performance, but did he do enough? Did he do what Bass did and and kind of you know stick a pole in the ground and say, look, you're going to have to do something spectacular to budge me? I don't think he did, but. For me, he'd still probably be one of the first names to to bring off the bench because I do think he carries a, a good attacking threat. Saw the goal he scored against um, Crystal Palace. The, the finish was superb. He's obviously got insane technical ability. So maybe he's one that, that could be introduced later on in the game when legs are tiring to, to get that space and show that bit of quality. But yeah, Morel has to start, I agree. The Pompey Lumjack messages in. He says, for me, it depends how we show up against Wimbledon and Lincoln. A few points from them, and we can call it a turning point. Hurst has to keep his spot after putting in a good shift. I'd hate to be the one choosing between Bass and Baz, though. Neither deserves to be benched. How many games do we have to go before, Sam, we start calling this a turning point? Do we have to get to 10? Is it just is it just consistency in performances rather than necessarily results? Yeah, I, I'd agree with you because I thought the Sunderland game was a turning point. And then the next two games, we go and concede eight goals and lose 4 0 and 4 1. So I do think the consistency, if we this weekend, obviously we're unbeaten in six games now. So there's something, there is, there's something there. We aren't, we aren't losing like we were a few weeks ago. But if we don't go, if we don't play or go to Fratton Park and play against Wimbledon and we don't get a win against Wimbledon, I don't think the Wickham game can be classed as a turning point. It'll be a turning point if on Saturday Pompey turn out, put a convincing performance in and get a comfortable win against against Wigan. Then you could start thinking, OK, maybe the Wickham game was that moment in the season where I'm not saying we're not going to lose a game for the rest of the season, but it could be a moment where the side realise they've got a bit about them and they're not just pushovers all the time. Um, and also as well, there's, there seems to be quite a nice run of fixtures coming up. Um, in the next few weeks, so a win against Wig, uh, a win against uh, uh, Wimbledon on um, Saturday, with a few nice fixtures after that, you can just start to build a bit of momentum. If you can get momentum going around Christmas time, you can pick up points so quickly because there's so many games, just non-stop games, and there's been so many times Pompey around Christmas have been quite poor, um, especially into the new year as well. Obviously, last year we had a good. I think who did we we beat Hull on. Um, Near just before Christmas, beat Hull, went top of the league. So that was a good moment there last year. But then obviously after that, we really did kind of go off a cliff. 
it's that kind of it's that time of the year where the games are something coming so quickly. If you're not in form now, but you can get into some sort of form, you can really kind of propel yourself up the table pretty quickly. We're only five points off the playoffs. It, like we, we are only five. Everyone, it's doom and gloom. We are only five points, uh, or is it six points? Uh, no, five points off the playoffs. Yeah. So it's that it's that time of year where if they can just put something together, that Wickham game will be looked back as the, a turning point in this season. I think it's particularly kind of tough to contextualise at the minute because Wickham away and Sunderland home on, you know, like a, the conditions it was, they're two special fixtures. They're not what I would call kind of run-of-the-mill games. And especially against Wickham, we played in a completely different way to, to the kind of style of football that Danny Cowley had promised to get that win. So for me, it could be a turning point. I agree I agree with Sam. It has to be contextualised by what we do next. It has to be contextualised with a win starting at Wimbledon who are injury hit and then going on and, and beating Lincoln as well. But I think really when you would start to say, yeah, that's a turning point, is when you start to see a consistent style of play from Pompey, which matches up to how Danny Cowley wants us to play. I think that's, that's when you would call it a turning point because the two games that we've earmarked as possible turning points so far one was pretty much played in the paddling pool and then the second one against Wickham is is a completely freak fixture. You have to fight tooth and nail to get a result there and we did fantastically to do that and showed a lot of character. But is it a turning point in, in us saying we found our style of play, we found our identity under Cowley and that's where we're going to move forward? No, because we're, we're not going to play like that every week. So from, from here on in, if if on Saturday we we kind of get the ball down, we play with intensity, we play how he wants us to play, we get a winning kick on from there, then then it is a turning point and it's the confidence from Wickham that we can take rather than the style of play, if that makes sense. Probably Delumberjack carries on. He says, at what point in the Wickham game would introducing Marquis have made a positive impact, if any? Can't argue with his work rate this season. And as always, he's a top bloke, but would bringing him on made us any stronger? Sam, I think we sort of covered what your feelings are and Frankie on, on John Marquez. I don't no. think you would have made a... <laughs> the answer's no. Move on. <laughs> no. you got to say no. Like, look, In the latter stages of a game against a team like Wickham, you can't give anything away. The touch has to be tight. The ball has to stick. And like we've discussed before, it's not two qualities that John Marquez has showed recently. <laughs> it never sticks. <laughs> it never sticks to him. Anyway, let's move on. Cowley's Cows messages in. Danny has said fringe guys wasted game time in the cup. Saturday, they took chances. So how do you drop? Everyone has a good game and arguably our best team performance and most balanced we've been. Struggling to justify changes. If players were banned, you would say they have to sit on the bench. A lot of people here tend to think that we should start exactly the same side again against against Wimbledon. I'm you know, scrolling through, having a look at it, which means not introducing... Uh, Joe Morrell, you know, keeping Bass in goal. Do you think, though, Frankie, that it's a situation that, as you said, it was more of a Danny Cowley set the team up in a specific way to play against Wickham, and therefore you will see the team sort of change a little bit in order to to play the way he wants to against Wimbledon? Yeah, I think the tactically will change. Personnel-wise, probably when you look player for player, you could still you could still go with the same team because Aziz could slot in into that 10 role, Harness could push to the right, Kurtz to the left and, and Hurst could lead the line. So you could theoretically still keep that same team that, that we went out with player for player against Wickham and just change it stylistically. But I agree, like I said, I agree wholeheartedly with Bass because like it says, fringe players are given an opportunity. Bass is, is taking that opportunity, he's performed. He has to keep his spot for me because it's out of principle. 
like we discussed before with with Morel and Aziz, I think it's slightly different in the sense that Aziz was good, but was he good enough to to keep Morel, who who has probably been our brightest player in some of the dullest performances? I probably don't think so. So for me, one change and it would be Morel over Aziz. But largely, I do agree with that point. Most of the time, you shouldn't change a winning team, especially when, like you say, putting the biggest performance of the season, probably. You can't get two fixtures that probably are more different than Wickham away and Wimbledon at home. They're just two completely different fixtures. And the way you want to, the way you want to set up at Wickham is not, especially for a side that's low on confidence, has been talk, like, uh, turned over a few times this season. You don't want to go to Wickham and try and play pretty football, try and pass it round and try and be expansive because you're just going to get bullied, you're just going to get beaten at the end of the day. Wimbledon, we know they're going to come, probably play a low block, try and play on the counter-attack. I know they they try and play some football here and there, but the amount of managers we hear go, oh, we're going to go to Fratton Park and try and take the game to them. And 10 minutes in, you know, 10, 10 players are behind the ball and they're, they're literally not trying to take it. They're literally just trying to get a snatch and grab a point, maybe Nick three. That's what they try and do. So they're two completely different games. I... Again, um, like Frankie said, on the Joe Morrell, Aziz thing, I don't think Aziz has kind of done enough in the games he's been involved in. He obviously scored against Crystal Palace, but against Wickham, a very tough game to him, for him to come into, but didn't quite do enough to keep his spot ahead of the standout, one of the standout performances of the season. Um, on the Bazzuni-Bass one, against Wimbledon at home, if you're talking about that, that specific, uh, specific fixture, I think Bazzuni coming in I could see why he would do it because obviously Bazzuni gives you that distribution, that ability to almost have another defender out, like a ball playing defender on the pitch. Because the amount of times we've seen him nearly like on the centre circle, like being an option for the for the two centre halves, and it does give you another foothold in the game. So that's the only reason I could see Danny Cowley potentially bringing in uh, Bazzuni over Bass. Again, the Wickham game was not ideal for Bass, but it was a good opportunity for just to, for him to remind us how good he is at, with shot stopping and his reactions. Because in the stats I mentioned earlier, his his shot stopping, his prevention of goals, it is right up there. So that's what I could see happening. Obviously, it would be harsh on Bass, but I think it's harsh on whoever misses out um, uh, in the in the keeper position at the moment. Alfie John messages in. He says, if we play this right against Wimbledon, it could be a massive turning point. Wickham has shown that we can play with determination and get into other teams' heads. Just have to see some of the comments from Wickham fans. Morel for Williams and the team is ideal. Do you think, do you think though, with Williams, because I actually, I actually do agree in a little bit with Alfie about this, the fact that when I've seen Williams, Morel, it's, together they can sort of get in each other's way a little bit playing together I, I think in that midfield when you see the Tunnicliffe Morel Williams combination for instance as a three I sort of feel that both Williams and Morel sometimes want to help dictate tempo and they sort of do it in a in a sort of different way Frankie do you think that they can work well in the same midfield together or do you feel that they're sort of potentially a bit of opposing sort of forces working there together I think I think they can. I think they they have enough differences to still complement each other on the pitch. I think, like you say, Williams likes to he likes to sit in a lot of the time. He adopts position in the left back position, which which Cowley likes him to do. Likes to sit in between defenders as well, pick it up deep and play it off. And like Sam said previously, he's, he's a player with intelligence that will find himself in in little pockets of space, and he doesn't necessarily have to look too busy without affecting the game. But 
I think Morel has enough differences to be able to play alongside him. I think, you know, p- perhaps the instruction, if you just ask Morel to, to, you know, just get a little bit more busy on the ball, do it, do sort of what Thompson does for us and just try and be more of a driving force, which I think he has the ability to do for them to complement each other. But I think maybe it depends, again, stylistically how we set up, which would be the better option. If, if we're going to play that diamond again, then I think Williams is the man that's perfect for the base. If we're going to play with two holding midfielders, then I could see an argument for for Thompson and Morel because, like I say, they give you something different. They drive through midfield, which is something that we've kind of been missing in terms of, of especially with Mark Reese, having that extra kind of driving force centrally to get us up the pitch. I, I think with with Williams, like you just said there, I think he excelled on Saturday because he didn't have, he just, he could do his job without having to worry about anything else because he had the two other players in front of him in the midfield if you had Thompson and Morel just slightly ahead of him and him just sitting at that kind of pivot, um, I think that's where he's probably at his best because he doesn't have to do so much running or do, obviously will do, but like doesn't have to do as much work and he can kind of focus on that one job, which he is very good at, just sitting in front of the fence, picking passes, just being clever on the ball. And I think that's where he had his best game in a Pompey shirt on uh, Saturday against Wickham because of the formation and what it allowed him to do. Can we just say how exciting it would be to have a Morel Thompson partnership in the middle of this midfield going forward? Generally, arguably two players who are absolute class at this level and should be playing. I mean, if Thompson was fit, you know, as well, playing in the league above, you've got to say, boys, there aren't many teams in League One, I think, anyway, that have got such two exciting players who can play in the middle and should be able to help establish us going forward if we can keep Thompson fit. It also, it also. It also gives them. Oh, sorry, mate. It also gives them freedom. It gives them both having Williams sitting. It also gives those two freedom to kind of, as you said, go forward, drive forward, be a little bit more expansive. When they're sitting in a two, they kind of have that a little bit more defensive responsibility. If you say to them, "You've got Williams in behind," obviously you've got to do your defensive work. But if one of you goes, the other one can just slot in next to um next to Williams to cover. So it, it, those two, as you just said. I think Thompson on his day is way too good for League One. And, and that's just from the small snippets we've seen. And it's so obvious that injuries have completely played his career so much because he's got the the strength, the power. He's almost like his brother when he gets his body in between hit the ball and the uh, and the opposition play. You're not getting it off him. No one's getting the ball off him. So it would be exciting to see that those two in the in the midfield with Williams just sitting. There's so there's still so much more to come from him as well. Like you say, he's finding his feet after seasons and seasons of being plagued by injuries and never really, for a player as young as he is, never really starting his career. So if if we can keep him in injury free and give him that license to carry on what he's doing, he does so much for this team because there's so many times that I've watched Pompey and we've just been completely flat. Everyone just wants to play in each other's pockets of space. Everyone wants to do the similar things. You know, players drop deep to receive the ball and there's no driving force. And but Thompson just is that. He, I think against Cheltenham at one point after the, the first 20, 25 minutes of worst football I've seen in so long, he just picked up the ball charged about 35 yards into the opposition's penalty area and forced the keeper into a good save. I'm not sure whether it was a cross or a shot in the end, but even so, he's a player that can just get on the ball and just grab a, a grab a game by the scruff of the neck, which is sometimes it's just a, a quality that you can't find in so many players. Ben Butler messages in. He's given us a question, boys. He says, would you give Harness a new contract? And if so, for how long? I mean... Looking at how Marcus is playing at the second in time, first of all, he's our, he's our leading goal scorer in the team. 
Second of all, I'm I'm a I, I do rate Harness. I think he's better down the middle than he is out wide. I know a lot of people have an opinion on that generally, but I want to put this over to you guys. Sam, Harness, New Deal, how long? Yeah, um, I think yeah. For me, he has to get a New Deal just because I think there's a player in there somewhere, and for those two, he's been here for two years now. Is it two years? Uh, he's in his third season, I'm pretty sure. Third season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, those first two seasons, he was under Kenny Jacket. And <laughs> I just don't think he's been given that opportunity to play in that central role, that kind of number 10 role enough, where he's been so effective. Obviously, he was at the start of last season. He kind of played with that, that second striker, false nine kind of thing. But he, he is so effective when he is central and he's given that license to do what he wants. Technically, He's too good. He, on his day, he's too good for this league. He's probably our best technical player, first touch. It's just that final product decision making sometimes is slightly off. But at the moment, he's on a very good. It's like five, four, five goals in as many games. So he, he he's in he's in a good vein of uh, vein of form now. So I just think he's probably the one player at the moment that I'd say out of the ones who are going out of contract. Or I know the club have an option, but another two years. Um, on his deal kind of takes us through his prime years as well you know and then if he really kicks on then he gets his move unless we get promoted in that time um, but yeah just because of how he's played now and he's shown glimpses he's shown, for me he's shown enough in his time here to, to earn another deal whereas and I think the club probably feel the same whereas Marquis I, I don't think he's shown anywhere near enough to to merit an, uh, any anything more on his contract. Surprise that comment. I got a goals and assists up, I just saw his name, it annoyed me. So, <laughs> <laughs> Frankie, what are you feeling? Marcus Harness, new deal? Yeah, of course. I, I couldn't agree more with, with pretty much all of what Sam said there. So for me, when you see him play on the right, naturally what he does is drift inside. And at times it's frustrating because when you've got Romeo going down the right-hand side, often he's kind of left having to having to do the job by himself because Harness has drifted so far inside and taken up that central position. So I think naturally that is where he needs to play. I think that's where he's at his best. That's where he can control the game and pick up those pockets of space. I think for me, he's the best finisher at the club. Probably the only person that could rival him is Curtis. But still, I think technically most of the time, nine times out of ten, you give Harness a chance and he will hit the target, if not score and the thing we forget I know he's consistent I know he's frustrating to watch but he's got seven goals at the minute for Portsmouth if he carries on that vein of form over into next year by the end of the season you're looking at respectable double figures for a player that isn't an out and out forward I mean you, you just can't turn that down who who else have Pompey had consistently bar running Curtis that in the last few seasons has hit double figures and, and is on track to do that I just don't, I don't think at the minute we could turn our nose up at a player that has a like Sam says, such a high ceiling if he can just find that consistency and we can nail him down into to one set role and he can claim that as his own. We'd just be silly to, to throw away a potentially 14, 15 goal player by not tying him down to a new deal. Because next year, what's to say we extend his contract by a year, he finds his form, he bangs in 15, 16, more consistent for us as well. And all of a sudden, we've just done ourselves out of a fee. There's definitely enough of a player in there to take that punt. Completely agree, boys, and glad glad you're on page. 
Callum Dow's message in and he says, same lineup in my opinion. I think the Wickham game helped clear any questions about the fight within the players. I think we're now six unbeaten, correct me if I'm wrong. You're correct, mate. Uh, and the players have now had time to gel as a group and are now used to the style Cowley wants us to play. Love the pod, guys. Cheers, mate. First, appreciated. Um, the person who hates me saying mate on the podcast, apologies for that, because he's probably going to get a, a message for that one as well. But use the style Cowley wants us to play. I still think that's a little bit up in the air, isn't it, Frankie? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I agree with most of what, what he sent in there, but I'm not sure if I can agree with that last statement because like we'd said before, the Wickham game was a freak game. It wasn't indicative of the way in any way that Cowley had wanted us to play. If anything, it was more, and I'd, I hate to say it, it was a little bit more of a Kenny Jacket performance. It was it was going off, basically, playing a more direct style of football, getting in behind a team and, and, and trying to nick a goal and being resilient. And it, it mirrored more probably what Kenny Jacket would have wanted from a team than what Danny Cowley wants from the team. And I'm not trying to say that's wrong. They got it absolutely right in the day because it's what it's what an away fixture at Wickham warrants, warrants sometimes. It needs you to dig in. But whether we found that style of play under Cowley, I'm not sure if I can agree with that because we've only recently switched from trying to play a free back, which he, it was, he was forcing for a while and just wasn't working. We've gone back to four at the back and I think we still need to, to find that fluidity, the intensity that, that he's wanted us to play. So I don't think we've quite found that yet. But it's a strong base. Wickham, I agree, Wickham is a strong basis to try and build off that. And as Sam says, we've got a favourable run of fixtures now to try and implement that as well. Sam, do you think Danny Cowley is going to try and guide us back to that sort of possession-based football that he wants to play? That sort of passing with purpose, the wide triangles, all the stuff that he spoke about when he first came in? Or do you think he's just going to have to sort of adapt that to the more utilitarian style, I suppose, football that Frankie just discussed? No, I, I do think he will go back to it. Uh, you know, he's recruited these players because they, they're they suited to playing that way. And we saw it at the start of the season. We've seen it in glimpses. I just think we've been, there's stuff that's happened that hasn't really been conducive for him to play that style of play all the time. And we'll just go through it. You know, the injuries to start, injury to Clark Robertson, big one. Memory had to change formation. Injury to Ogilvy as well. Led to the free back formation was good going forward, but it leaked way too many goals. Gone back to the full-back formation now. But in that time, the form dropped so much. We're just searching for a win. So you kind of think, right, searching for a win at Wickham, the likes of Wickham, Accrington. Let's just do Let's just go back to basics. Be solid. Try and get a win. Now, obviously, after a good win against, against Wickham, we've got Wimbledon, Lincoln, Gillingham uh, coming up. You'd think maybe if he can get injury, like some players back from injury, and hopefully Robertson comes back next month. He's, he's got Ogilvy back as well. If you can get those players back from injury and the formation you wanted to play from the start of the season, which was four at the back, then we could start to see him try and build on that and build something from how he wanted to play originally. I just think the injuries, the change in formation, the poor results have led to that kind of more direct style of football. But I had nothing. I had no problem with him going to Wickham and and playing that way. Um, so I don't think we would have got a result any other way. And, and the Cowleys have previously been very good at getting results when they need in kind of different ways. At Lincoln, they're quite direct. At Huddersfield, they went in and they saw the situation. At Huddersfield, they saw that these players they they needed to get out of the, this this hole they were in, and, and they played a certain way that they, they were direct and managed to get get them out of trouble in the end. So. 
but they only did that because that was the situation they were in. I think they they had a clean slate at the start of the summer. They saw that they they wanted to play a certain way. It just hasn't quite worked out now. We're in the middle of winter. Conditions aren't exactly the best for playing that way, but get the fo- a full fit uh, squad of players back, a formation they want to play. I've got no problem with them going back to that kind of the ethos and philosophy they set out with at the start of the season. In a way as well, it's actually kind of refreshing to have a manager that will change change a team for the occasion because we went for so long banging our heads against the wall trying to get Kenny Jacket to slightly adapt the style of play and it was just it was just basically Kenny Jacket dying on the hill of, of the way that he wanted Pompey to play you know whether we change the style or not at least at least Cowley and Danny Cowley tries to to adapt the team and adapt the style of play for the occasion, which you have to take your hat off. And it is refreshing having someone take take games on a game by game basis because you're not always going to be able to play the same way, especially in this division. Sometimes you have to be in be digging, you have to play ugly. So yeah, I think it is a little bit refreshing actually. We've got a manager that's willing to switch it up. Pompey Bertie messages in. He says, no, not a turning point. A mid-table team uh, will beat some better teams and lose to some crap ones during the course of the season. The problem in the squad are deep-rooted and, unless a striker comes to the party, we're not going anywhere this season. Could Hurst be our saviour? We, sp- we spoke about the what we think about George Hurst and I think, you know, yes, it's much improved as well. It's great to see it's, it's all that kind of malarkey, but we still need to see more as he goes forward and hopefully he, he takes this form and this confidence and, and cracks on. But as Frankie touched on earlier on, we need another striker in January, whether we can get one that has an impact that sort of propels us towards the playoffs or, or whatever, it's it's going to be quite difficult. And well, I'll ha- happily pass that baton to Danny Cowley and Nicky Cowley now to start there. I'm sure they already started their search on that to see who we can bring in because they know we need another striker as well. As far as mid-table team, you know, beat some better ones, not other ones. I, I think that's just, that is just how football is. This league is very tight. It, it's not. A, it's not a very clear level of, you know, you've got a very small amount of top teams in this league. Everyone can beat everyone on their day in this league. That's why you see quite a lot of surprising results. But deep-rooted, I think the squad's just not complete yet. Is it, Frankie? No, I agree. I don't think it is complete. Cowley's always said judgment after three windows and he was given a really, really, really tough job to kind of try and root out some of the players that have been signed on decent wages by Kenny Jacket that just simply weren't wanted at the club anymore. Unfortunately, we couldn't do that. There's still players at the club, i.e. Harrison, that he obviously didn't want there and he wanted to bring out to get out the door. But like I said before, the challenge is now finding a striker in January that, that is going to make that difference for us. And I think that's going to be incredibly tough to do without taking a, another huge punt on someone. And this is where it comes back to the, to the summer window. You miss out on Piggott, you miss out on Stockley, and you end up taking two lone punts. And I'm sure many more targets there are on that list as well. And then you end up taking two lone punts, one on Hurst and, and one on a Hadme after a trial period. So we weren't even convinced by what we'd seen from from him before we took him on trial either so you're talking about missing out on two potentially more huge targets and then getting two loan players in and then going into a January window where where, like I said before you're looking to sign players who are on a downwards curve no one's going to be selling their top score in January unless Pompey are going to pay through the nose for it which we know is not going to happen pragmatically that just won't happen if we're going to spend money it will be next summer so you know it's going to be so so tough to get that striker that will make the difference. And mid-table, on that point, 
I can I can agree to a certain extent. I still think we have enough in the squad to creep into the playoffs if we can find a, a string of results and and get a run of results together. I still think we have enough to creep into those playoffs because there are teams up there that I don't see as miles ahead of us. Um, but it could easily go the other way as well. Yeah, you've got to look at Oxford last season, I think, who were doing absolutely awful down towards the bottom of the league and then went on some ridiculous run, didn't they? And Black, ended up Blackpool. Ended up going up there. Blackpool. Blackpool yeah. as well. Black, Blackpool were uh, middle of middle of October. They were really poor form. And then they just won every game. <laughs> Literally won every game. So well, I had a bet on them to get promoted then. So, you know, well, and let's just remind everyone who's listening, because I was already bragging <laughs> about that all last season, whoever it was. So there we go. Strong English message. And he says, defensive, we are not solid yet, but good to see we can keep a clean sheet against Wickham. Start Hurst and hope Marquis turns into a super sub like Dezers for Feyenoord. I mean, <laughs> let's, let's say... So Marquis turns into a fine old super so, uh, sub. I mean, yeah, I the knowledge of Dutch fail, Dutch football is failing you again here, Hugh. <laughs> oh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that one. <laughs> Thanks everyone who messaged in. That was much appreciated. We're going to move on because we've got a bit of time now to look into ahead to the game against Wimbledon, which we did have some guys coming on from Wimbledon podcast. Unfortunately, they've ghosted us not turned up boys but that doesn't matter because we know roughly enough about Wimbledon to to kick off this preview so Wimbledon only have one win in the last eight games going forward they've got a pretty young squad with an average age of 22.7 which is is really really young and that's shown a lot with the, some of their attacking players they've got Luke McCormick you know 20 years old not the guy from Plymouth people listening Leads the team with four assists for them in the middle, playing in a cam role. They sort of play a 4-2-3-1 formation from what I've seen of them generally throughout the formation throughout the season. So they'll be quite tight to play against. Although you think for a team that might sit back airily, they're not actually as good as you would think. So in the air, um, aerial jewels-wise, they win 45% compared to Pompey's 55%. So there's potential there for us to exploit them in the air. Sean Raggett, get yourself up, mate, for a corner. Come on, mate. It's going to happen as well. Obviously, we have that really weird game for the 5-3 freak result game in the Cup. Don't really think that's got much resemblance on this game, to be honest. Going forward, boys, don't know what you think about that. But if you look at the games that Pompey and Wimbledon have played recently, in the last three games, both teams have had under 2.5 goals in the last three games they've played against each other. I can't see a 5-3 mad scoring game in this one. I think it's going to be quite a tight game in this one. You've got Jack... Um, I'm going to get his name wrong. So what he's doing. You're going to get Jack uh, Rodoni. Yeah. Jack Rodoni. We'll go with it. Um, huh? We'll go with it. Yeah. We'll, do. <laughs> we'll go with that. We've got Jack Rodoni plays on the left-hand side as well. He's also pretty good. Good dribbler. Good smart passer. Um, and he, he's got four goals in this season as well. You've got the classics there. Alex Woodyard in, in centre midfield. I think he's a very good player. He's a battling midfielder. Can lose his head a little bit as well. But he's a little bit of experience there alongside their pretty pretty young players going forward as well so there's my little you know my little roundup boys of the generalness of of Wimbledon and what we're likely to expect but we spoke about them playing in this sort of low block etc and they like to counter attack but is there anyone you've seen Sam and the Wimbledon team that really sort of Pompey should be looking out for well McCormack you mentioned earlier is a player that we've, we've I've been in this league before and has been kind of highly thought of. He, he looks quite a, a good midfield player. So that would be the one player I'd kind of keep an eye on. But for Wimbledon losing Piggott last year, that's just that's just a 
massive blow. And you've seen the way they've gone this year. They've got a very young squad, average age 23. They've potentially got the new manager gone. Well, the new, I know he took over last season, but the manager's going to start a different route of how they're going to play. But yeah, losing losing that many goals to to another team in this league is is it's got to be a huge got to have a huge impact on them. And obviously, they started the they started the season pretty well, um, picked up some good wins. But since almost since they played us in the cup, they won a game after that. But they've been on a dreadful run of form. The, the, picked up a couple of draws, been beaten three 0 against Rotherham. You know, uh, lot, they've lost their last two games against Wigan, Sutton United at home. So there's some that form since that cup game has been really, really poor. But then looking at some of the stats, I'm just looking at some of the statistics and defensively they actually don't look too bad. So potentially could just be slightly underperforming their actual kind of ceiling at the moment. Um, but again, I, I wouldn't expect anything different from from a, 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 t- a side a side that's struggling coming to Fratton Park. They're going to come. They're going to try and get us in the counter attack, play a low block. That that will be the way it will probably go because it, it it generally always goes like that against sides that are, are lower down in the league. But it will be interesting to see if they can pull it off. They've got a young side, you know. Will they have the discipline to kind of play like that? Um, we have to wait and see. Frankie, what are your thoughts, mate? It's it's a difficult one to call because I'm looking at looking across their team, they've got seven people out for this game. So they've got seven injuries. So what we might usually expect from Wimbledon might not be what we'll get. Woodyard out as well. So that's one of their more experienced heads, and like you say, probably a bit of bit of a leader in the engine room out of the team for them, it looks like for Saturday. So, you know, it's a young squad. They don't have the physical presence of Piggott up top anymore. They probably will play a low block, but to score, they're probably still going to have to, to a certain extent, try and outplay Pompey because they're not going to have that physical presence and pick it up top to, to just kind of use as a as an outball and as a target man who can also who's also pretty mobile as well. So, you know, seven players out injured, some key defenders in there, Woodyard as well. You would like to think it points towards a Portsmouth win, but that might be the kiss of death. <laughs> well, let's get on to that. This is the exciting bit of the show, and I'm going to ask you first, Sam. I want to know the score prediction for the game against Wimbledon and the goal scorers, please, mate. I'm going to go for a comfortable Pompey 2 0 win. Um, nothing's ever comfortable with Pompey, but let's hope. Let's just, let's just think this weekend it will be. So uh, I'm going to go for Harness to score first and Sean Raggett to finally stick one of those headers away. And hopefully it will be, it will be a comfortable 2 0 win, get a bit of form going um, into this Christmas period. And Frankie, I saw you were saying before the podcast, you thought we put seven past them, but are you going to say that now we're live on air? <laughs> I said, I hope we put seven past them because uh, the lad stitched us up with a podcast, not going on. Um, no, I'd, I was going to say 2-0, but it'd be boring if I went for that now. So I'll give it a 2-1. I reckon Harness, and I reckon we could see another Lee Brown, Lee from football. I reckon he could pop up with another goal. And I think late on, We'll lose concentration and they might nick one, but I still think it'll be fairly comfortable for Pompey 2 1, I'll say. And I'll go wild completely against the, all the stats I said about 2.5 goals and all, all the malarkey that I, I just gave right at the beginning about five minutes ago. And I'll say that I think Pompey will win 3 0. I think it's coming. I think Wimbledon, as you said, lots of players out, quite poor. We'll have to come at us. If we can get an early goal, 
they're going to have to try and play against us. So let's hope we manage to get a goal in the first half. I'm going to go with Harness, Curtis and a goal from Sean Raggett. So there we go. 3-0. Frankie, it's been awesome having you on the show, mate. I appreciate appreciate you having me on. I've, I've enjoyed it. It's been great. No, nice one. And Sam, it's always a pleasure, mate. Yeah, cheers, guys. It's been a good chat. Hopefully do it again sometime. Yeah, and it's good to feel a bit more positive, isn't it, Pompey fans? And until next time, play up, Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast at Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.